Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets, and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, and welcome everyone to the next episode of Decoding AQ. Have with me today a real honor to spend some time with Blaine Bartlett. Welcome. Wow, my pleasure, Russ. I'm thrilled to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. And as someone who has spent over three decades in this uh, area of coaching, development, training for people and businesses, you've authored lots of books. One of them, an uh, international bestseller called Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I look forward to diving into that a little bit. But also as an executive leadership coach, you host your own podcast and you've spoken in lots of different places, including one I I watched earlier today in China, uh, where you had a translator on stage all about goals. So I can't wait to dive into it all, Blaine. Oh, well, let's take it. Let's do it. Leap off the board here, so to speak. Yeah, see well, where we end up. Where, where I'd like to start, actually, is, so the title of the book, Compassionate Capitalism, tell me, what is that? What is Compassionate Capitalism? Well, for many people, it's an oxymoron. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and that's predicated in, in, in part on the experience that most people have about capitalism uh, is it's a zero sum game. Uh, and, and we look, you know, just uh, at the evidence writ large in society, you know, economic inequality, uh, and even as, you know, racial injustice, gender inequality. I mean, just, you know, all of it stems from economic models that have gone off the rail. Um, so, just kind of a, a little history on this. You know, you know, John Mackey and Raj Sisodia. You know, John uh, was the co-founder of Whole Foods and Raj as a professor of uh, business at uh, Babson University. Uh, they wrote a book, co-wrote a book called Conscious Capitalism. And Conscious Capitalism basically spawned the Conscious Capitalism movement. And Raj and John are both good friends. And I was having conversations with them about actually what I think is the shortcoming of consciousness in the context of capitalism, because you know, being conscious about the ecosphere in which I operate my business is, is really crucial because the more I become aware, the greater cog you know, cognition I have that there are more stakeholders that are directly impacted by my business than just the shareholder group. So, that awareness is, is absolutely crucial. And that's actually foundational to the conscious capitalism movement. My question to both John and, and Raj had to do with what's the behavioral analog that can tip, be, you know, literally tip the activities of business into a more generative position. And that's where compassion comes in. Um, you know, acting as if I am connected, behaving as if I'm connected. So, Compassion doesn't occur unless connection is realized. And so then I start making business decisions and I start taking actions that uh, are in service of a greater good. You know, and literally the Hippocratic Oath comes to mind for me as a business leader, first do no harm. Yeah. And if yeah. businesses are stepping up to that admonition, first do no harm, that is compassionate capitalism. It's interesting, the, the use of words and you know, the consciousness followed by connection and resulting in compassion of behavior. I know that uh, Dan Sullivan, my coach, uh, yeah. he said if there was one letter in the English language that uh, I had to be on a desert island with, it would be C, because there's so many great words that yeah. came with the letter C. And we've just heard three yeah, yeah. great, great ones. And in fact, my... Um, I don't know if you've ever come across the, uh, for those who are watching the video version, they'll see this, but I have these My Intent bands. Have you ever come across these? I My have, Intent? I've seen those, yes. Um, for, for those who don't know, essentially, it's a reminder that on your, traditionally, your left hand, you have your watch, which tells you the time. But on your right hand, it has the message of what to do with that time. The intent and so the the reminder and so you have these words these you know one words and and things and mine is co-elevate uh -huh. uh, but my wife's is compassion so it's really interesting you know these these words and choices that 
create our, our mindset, create our behavior. And yeah. kind of a follow on to that. I mean, so if capitalism for many has had um, a particular view and perspective of what it is, and then a, you know, conscious capitalism and now a compassionate capitalism as this new model and new economic model of thinking, what what needs to happen for that transition? You know, what do we need to let go of? What's the mindsets and what adaption needs to take place? Uh, a great question. And thank you for that. Um, it, it fundamentally comes down to a mindset shift, I think. Um, what we need to let go of is uh, the consciousness or the mindset that um, the universe is scarce in resource. And I mean, not just physical resource but emotional, spiritual, intellectual. I mean, you know, just name the resource that I'd like to have access to for my organization or my business. Uh, it's abundant. Uh, you know, I, I grew up on a farm, Aras, and um, one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned was just watching how nature operates. And I mention this because nature is really, from my experience and my observation, the only truly free market economy. And nature works as if everything, it's abundant. Yeah, everything in nature serves as a center of distribution, not as a center of accumulation. And I think that's a significant mindset shift is if we as business owners, business leaders, business uh, proprietors operate as if our business and, uh, and what we do functions as a center of distribution, then things begin to happen in a very different way. And by center of distribution, I mean, you know, we're looking at not hoarding because we're afraid we don't have enough. We look at uh, giving away freely without concern about how it's going to be used necessarily. Just knowing that in the giving, something fruitful will benefit uh, as a consequence of that. Um, I mean, I, I take calls from folks all the time. And I, and I, yeah, as a matter of fact, I took a call yesterday from a fellow that's, uh, you know, been out of a job. He was, he was rift, has uh, been looking for work for about five months. And yeah, he heard about me and he called and says, do you have time to talk? And so I said, yeah, 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 book you know, some time with me. So just, uh, just a simple talk through, and he's got a job interview coming up this week, and I think he's probably going to get it. But just to be able to give him some solidity in terms of how he approached this interview, because he's talking to the CEO of a fairly large, you know, almost a $2 billion company for this you know, senior position. I'm fine on giving that stuff away. Yeah, it's going to serve in a larger way, you know, what needs to happen out there. And I don't know what needs to happen, but by giving it away, something will benefit. And it always comes back. Centers of distribution, there, there's an inflow and an outflow. That's a mindset shift. And it's a very difficult mindset shift for many, where yeah. this consumption, accumulation, protection, you know, is being a fundamental part of society for so long to protect, to look after, to, you know, shift that to one of abundance, to one of sharing, one where uh, Marshall Goldsmith talks about knowledge philanthropy, um, mm -hmm. you know, in this sense of the giver's gain, you know, a Joe Polish book. And it, it's, it is a shift and it's one that then becomes freeing, but it can be dangerous when others aren't in that same mindset and we can get scared yep. how might we overcome that if we think we're operating in that in ourselves, but an environment isn't doesn't foster that and might give us a few setbacks might give us a few <laughs> knocks a few nudges on the way that might give us a question mark about that mindset what would you say to people who might face that challenge very fair question uh, because this is almost a utopianistic altruistic mm -hmm. perspective in, in many ways. And I think the first thing that I start with when I'm actually coaching and working with the leaders that I actually work with is just put it on the table. You will get knocked. You will get bumped. Um, and, and it's an and. What's the consequence of not doing that? It's more of the same. And if you have to continuously be on guard, 
by definition, your soul can't express itself. And I don't mean this in a religious sense. I mean this in a creativity sense. I mean, yeah, innovation. A blockage, a restriction. Blockage. Yep. There's blockage. There's and yeah, an old mentor of mine, a fellow by the name of Will Schutz, Dr. Will Schutz, um, said, and I've modified this a bit. He said, uh, people connect through vulnerability. They don't connect through certainty. And if you want to connect to your stakeholders, whether it's a an employee, whether it's a husband, a wife, whether it's a kid, whether it's a customer or a vendor vulnerability is the, as far as I can tell, the most effective manner in which you can create that connection. And then you need to nurture it. Now it requires adaptability. I mean, real frankly, and that's one of the reasons that uh, I think we're talking here is um, that's a change. It is a fundamental change in mindset. And, uh, and I'll just jump into this one. Um, the, the problem with change isn't what people think it is. You know, it's kind of like, wow, God, it's changing. That's awful. No, it's not necessarily awful. What's, what's the difficulty is, is that the change with the relationship I have with the status quo is shifting. It's the change with relationship that gets perturbed. And this gets to be real interesting from a psychological perspective because people value comfort almost over value. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen this time and time again, and I know you have as well. The business case can be defined absolutely perfectly about why this change is good. And then it, might, it meets incredible resistance in the organization because it requires disrupting existing relationships, relationships with work process, relationships with fill in the blank. Yeah. And it's the relationship disruption that people have umbrage with. They just kind of go, no. Yeah, it, it becomes uncomfortable, even though the business case makes sense. And even on an individual level, it's the relationship we have with ourselves. You know, this beautiful dance between our yesterday, our today and our tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And how are we navigating that level of comfort and uncomfort, of certainty of uncertainty, and to be able to be free be blockage free be you know uh, innovative be creative be our true best selves whatever the state whatever the situation and i think the reality that we're now facing you know this environment and land that we're now living in is one where the uncertainty where the volatility where complexity you know this vuca world yeah. is ever present and so this connection that we seek with maybe who we were and who we are today, now trying to free ourselves up to imagine again, who could we be? Yeah. And for many people, that's scary. For some, it's the most exciting thing in the world to create a new version of myself. So I think it's the, the challenge to realize that everyone's at different stages and everyone's status quo is relevant and true to them right now. And we all need support and help. We all need confidence. We all need compassion. We all need connection. One of the things I've, I've recognized is how intentional we are about our environment and the company we keep. And you talk a lot about the effect of coaching and training. And I'd love you to just articulate a little bit of the difference between coaching and training. <laughs> oh. Well, I could go on for days on that one. Uh, <laughs> you know, sim simple version here. Uh, training is usually organized around skill development. Okay, that would be the probably the very simplest way of the, you know, articulating that. Um, skill development, whether it's from a management perspective or a technical perspective or a leadership perspective, there are skills that are involved in actually being able to execute on those, you know, in those domains. So training can you know, kind of come into play with that. You can also train mindset, um, and it's 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 a it's a longer practice. But you know you can sh you, know, you can train people how to begin to organize their mindset. Training and self mastery. Um, you know, there are things to be done with that, and it's programmatic. I mean, there are structures mm -hmm. and elements that you can actually uh, position uh, to facilitate that process. Coaching is a subset of training in in, in one way of thinking. And the, the distinction here between 
the, the trainer and the coach is the trainer has the information and is imparting knowledge, you know, with the intent of uplifting or you know, upgrading or whatever it is uh, that the client would like to have happen. The coach done well, coaching is question organized and it's predicated on the fact that people internally have the answers to whatever it is that they're seeking. So the coach's job isn't to tell you what to do, it's to draw out of you what you think is the best way to do or the best answer to have for where you say you'd like to go. And it's that extrusion process that coaching works with. Um, I had a coach and I've had coaches for years. I you know, continuously have coaching uh, as part of my development. Uh, one of the fellows that I worked with, uh, Frederick Hudson, founder of the Hudson Institute out of Santa Barbara. Uh, Frederick was uh, always talking about leading from behind. Leading from behind. Servant leadership. Yeah. Just, yeah. My, my position on coaching is that my role is to provide the structure. You as the client bring the content. And that's probably the easiest way to delineate with training, I will provide both structure and content. And then, you know, you, you as the client get to kind of work with that toolbox. Yeah. So I guess it's in some ways elements of having context coming back to compassion that there is um, this personalized nature that within you is the version of you that is required for you to show up tomorrow. Absolutely. But you might need a little bit of, you know, nurturing, little tap here and there. What if tomorrow is so unlike your today? You know, if, if we reference this to your A, B, C goals, A goals being you know how to do them, you know how to achieve it, so it's not really a goal, through to C, where you've got no clue, no idea how to do it. In my language, those are the moonshot. You know, my first book was about moonshot innovation. It's so big. We need some kind of breakthrough that doesn't exist yet to solve it. What if someone is in a situation, in a role, in a career, in a place that requires the transformation that's a C-level? Mm -hmm. How can they be coached? How can they be developed? What kind of adaptability elements uh, have you seen that have worked, that have worked well when they're facing these level of massive challenges is it starting small you know what, what is it Lane, that can really help people that are facing in their world in their context an outcome that they've got no idea how to get to i, I love that question it is such a good question <clears throat> um and two two pieces in my way of answering it first of all a breakthrough almost by definition requires a breakdown so that in that and that gets into the question of you know relationship shifting okay and the relationship that's shifting is my experience of who i am and what i do who i am and where i belong so i need to begin to adopt and adapt the mind of a beginner in order to you know I mean, my language for it is is the uh, the seagull you know, or the you know, i call it a growl yeah the purpose of any goal is to grow and if I'm doing this extraordinarily well, I'm growing into a domain that I've never experienced before. I'm reinventing myself in the process. A transformation. It's a transformation. And you know, the caterpillar being questioned about what's it gonna take for you to become the butterfly has absolutely no idea what it's going to take. They just know that that butterfly looks a whole lot different than this caterpillar body that I'm occupying. As a matter of fact, I mean, what are those things that Others are calling wings. I don't see any vestige of a wing on my body as a caterpillar. So a breakdown is required for a breakthrough to occur. I need to adapt and adopt the mind of a beginner. And, and, and that's uncomfortable. So as a coach, one of the things that I do is invite people into the discomfort. And in part of, you know, when I talked about, you know, my job is to provide the structure, your job is to provide the content. You know, and part of that content is what's the desire? Where do you actually want to go? I will provide structure that will give you a, an experience of safety to the degree that you can let go of old identity and try on new things. 
Some will work, some won't. But yeah, you have to have the experience and this is where trust comes in. Uh, yeah, my coaching engagements typically run at least a year. Some of them, I mean, I've got one that's run 34 years so far. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's me, and I love this client. He's always evolving. Um, <clears throat> but it's that idea of there's somebody in my corner that's got my back, regardless of what it is that I, you know, how I flail around as I, as I move into this Chrysalis and start dissolving. <laughs> and the idea for me is to keep in front of them the for the sake of what? Why are you doing this? Not because there's an outcome specific, but there's something else. And it, and it goes back to this core. And you, know, you spoke about imagination. Um, you know, the imago cell. I mean, when you look at, I mean, I'll get biological here, but you know, the imago cell you know, in the chrysalis, is, is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cellular component. And basically what it does is it dissolves the existing tissue. If you open a chrysalis in the middle of the process, it would just be goo. You know, there would be really no form or substance to it. Imago is um, Greek for imagination. There, there's imagination of, yeah, being crystallized, catalyzed, manifested, and it, and, it's a, and it ends up expressing itself as a butterfly. But in that dissolution, it's kind of like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? And my role as a coach is exactly what you asked to get yourself into. And for the sake of what? We keep that in front of yeah. us. It's interesting that this sense of to break down, to be vulnerable in order to break through requires a very deep level of safety and trust to do that mm -hmm. and where leaders or companies in the context of work so much of that doesn't exist yeah. you know we're measured against output outcomes performance results kpis okrs you know all of these things that this space to imagine this playground for curiosity to the language that you use is so it makes me smile, you know, this ability to try something on, to go and put the clothes on of a new role, of a new identity, see how it feels, you know, do, do, is this something I, you know, like about myself or not, where everything is under so much pressure. How do we create this great environment where there's enough pressure, so we're not complacent, um, that we're in this comfort, we need some pressure to change, but not too much, that the negative side of collapse, of anxiety, of mental health issues and stress. Give me examples, because I'm sure you've seen so many organizations deal with this, you know, day in, day out of trying to create an environment at which people can evolve, where products yeah. evolve, where propositions evolve. What works well for people to do that on a practical sense? There is a phrase that I love, and it's, um, and it's actually is... Um, a description of a certain kind of design process, ontological design, ontological design. And ontological design essentially says, I'm, a design, I'm designing an environment that designs me back. So part of what we look at uh, is as, you know, as I start this journey, what do I need to pay attention to in my environment deliberately and consciously? that I can design in a way that it facilitates me stepping into that role more effectively on an ongoing basis. And I start small, yeah. I, yeah and it can be, uh, uh, I need to shift this practice. Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah little behaviors, looking, little things. Behavior, yeah, little behaviors, little steps. Uh, it's designing practices because practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes habits and 95% of our behavior is governed by things that we have absolutely no awareness of. It's, I mean, com you know, it's completely subliminal. 5% of, of what we do, you know, is, is in our conscious awareness. I want to design that 95% inten you know, intentionally. Um, and that's, you know, again, a shifting of, of mindset, so to speak. Practice doesn't make perfect, it makes habits. So, Ontologically speaking, I want to design an environment in which I am required to do different habits. I'm required to, to develop different ways of interacting with my world, with myself, with my spouse, with my partners, you know, whoever it may be, that over time aggregated small little things begins to show up in a different way of being 
because everything is spawned out of beingness, mm-hmm. not out of doingness. And it comes and, back to that, you know, the soul of humans and the soul of business. Yeah. What is its fundamental purpose to accumulate or to distribute? Absolutely. And for, for me, it, it comes a few bits are going on in my mind at the moment of as I learn in my adaptability journey of who am I today? Who do I want to be? What what predictions am I making? What you know hypothesis do I have and go and try out and see what impact it has? Is this reality of experimentation? Mm-hmm. And to experiment, we don't know the answer. We have a hypothesis rather than we know what we want to achieve. Therefore, we're designing it to show what we wanted it to show. And we just look for that data and we look for those things to prove our point rather than to truly discover. And I talk a lot about this reflection of what have you done for the first time today? What have you done for the first time this week? And for me, a, a company, an organization, a person living in exponential times, where change is so quickly to get comfortable with that uncomfort requires us to do things for the first time. And that's what you're talking about, really, is, you know, uh, no matter your position, no matter your age, no matter, you know, where you are in life is to still go and discover, to still go and try things on. How might people shift their mindset when their role, their identity has been the source of the answers? People come to them for an answer Mm -hmm. to say, I don't know, to say this is the first time to do things new needs a hell of a lot of courage and a hell Mm -hmm. of a lot of confidence. What are some of the things that people can do or what do you do to protect that, you know, confidence or to give you the courage? What are some of those habits and practices you have? Love it. Um, Two more C words, courage and confidence. (laughs) You know, we're on a roll. We're on a roll. We're on a roll here. Um, this may seem trite, and I don't mean it to be trite, but a bucket list is 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 absolutely. Uh, it, it, I mean, it truly is magical in some in some ways because it sparks the imagination. And uh, one of the things that, I, and I'll just speak to myself. One of the things that I, you know, every every year I don't set New Year's resolutions. What I do though is I look at myself from the through the lens of how am I different this year than I was last year? And that question really does spark you know, some introspection because if I'm the same way that I was last year, if I'm the same way in my relationship, if I'm the same way in my work, I haven't grown. And as a consequence of that, my soul is atrophying. It, I mean, it truly is. And if I don't pay attention to that, I start losing aliveness. And this is true in an organization as well. I mean, yeah, you walk into many organizations and there's no, there's no spirit. There's no, yeah, vive. Um, you, it has to be alive. And aliveness comes, you know, when the soul is accessed. When you imagine in the gate, you know, the gateway to the soul is imagination. As far as I can tell, imagination is the gateway to the soul. So bucket list. I mean, yeah, when I say I don't do New Year's resolutions, I do do a bucket list. And it doesn't necessarily have a time frame on it. Um, but what, what haven't I experienced yet that I would absolutely love to experience? And at, at, at the stage of where I'm at in my life right now, it has almost nothing to do with what do I want to have. Yeah, not things, really but experiences. Yeah, because you know, you know, getting things is easy to do. Having the experiences, that's, that's like something. Magic is. Yeah, it's, it's and it requires me to be different in order to have that experiential difference. And often to let go of something as well. So that breakthrough. And um, it reminds me again of Dan and my coach who talks about the difference between dreams and goals. And so a bucket list with dreams, if you put a date to some of those things, it starts to process in your mind as a goal of how might I do that? Even if you don't know, your subconscious will work on it. You will collide with the people who might give a part of that puzzle of what's going on. And this is something I've personally very consciously done is to seek out people that help create the version of myself in the future. 
And so it's through the people and conversations and connections I'll accumulate the, you know, missing pieces to those, whether it's skills, whether it's mindset, whether it's knowledge that will open up my imagination, that yeah. will expand my ambitions, that will scare me. Any of those things result from these conversations with people. And again, if we come back to what have I done for the first time? Who have I met for the first time this week? You know, what experience have I done this month that scared me? The more we do that, and it references me back to AQ and our adaptability being a muscle. Yes. The more we nurture this, the more we build it, the more capable we are as human beings to deal with a setback, to deal with unknown, to deal with growth and to navigate it with grace, to navigate it with a smile, you know, mm -hmm. not scars. And that those things are so, so required right now and um, that we really focus on this muscle because, like you said, atrophy of this failure to grow, it's similar in terms of, you know, failure to adapt is then collapsing and stagnation. I want to uh, ask a question around sustainability. Yeah. And within organizations, there's a natural evolution that happens. And sometimes there needs to be death. You know, mm. there needs to be collapse in order to have that platform for regeneration and for regrowth. How can we do that on, on the terms where the fallout is not lasting, it's not long, and it's minimized? So if we take this conceptual thought that things have to break, they have to collapse, how can we do it that doesn't cause catastrophic damage to our souls or to our being? Um, yeah. I'm interested in your thoughts around that, of this cycle of sustainable change, of sustainable growth, of sustainable adaption? I, I'll go back to nature to answer that question. Uh, I mean, nature does not work in a straight line linear <laughs> progression. It is cyclical, uh, you know, and it, and it's cyclical in the, in, the, in the terms of seasonality, fall, spring, winter, summer. Um, there's a natural progression of, of birth, maturation, decline, what appears to be death, and then, and then it just kind of cycles Energy through. transfer. Energy transfers, yeah, nothing goes to waste. Yeah, it, it all gets uh, utilized. The definition that I work with around sustainability, and I, and I kind of couple this with success. You know, how do, I, how do I create sustainable success in life? Part of my answer is it's through the developing of the capacity to continuously start over. Say that and again, slowly. The, Developing the capacity to continuously start over. That's beautiful. That, that, that is the secret, I think, to being able to have sustainable success in life. Yeah, a, a great example. I mean, this, this actually works really well. I, I, I worked with Nokia for uh, about a little bit more than a decade uh, as an external consultant to them. I ran a major portion of their global leadership uh, uh, development uh, program worldwide. And when I started working with them, Nokia had, uh, um, and they were a conglomerate at that time. And they were selling rubber tires, they were selling uh, TV sets, rubber boots, farm implements. Uh, I mean, just, yeah, you name it, they were selling it. They, and oh, by the way, they had this little small thing called telephony that uh, they and Ericsson had kind of developed the GM standard for. I won't go into the whole historical uh, context on it, but Nokia is about 138 years old, round numbers. It's a Finnish company, started out uh, as an agricultural company, timber, uh, in Nokia, Finland. I mean, that's literally where it got its name, Nokia, Finland. Um, they have gone through, as a phoenix, more collapses and rises than just about any company I can think of. Um, and they've developed internally the capacity to continuously start over. And the shedding of, you know, when I started working with them, the shedding, and Yorma Olela was the CEO of the kind, at the time. He had just been newly installed, really. Um, Michael Hammer and he and, and the executive team had done some work around strategic uh, focus. And they landed on telephony. Let's, let's leverage this. We'll bet the farm on it. And what do we need to let go of? Well, we need to let go of all of these subsidiaries that don't have anything to do with telephony. 
What do we need to let go of? What do we want to hold on to? Well, we've got this IP. Let's hold on to this and begin to develop that. Um, so fast forward in time, uh, you know, Yorma eventually left about 12 years into his term, um, brought in a new CEO, and there's a whole backstory to this. But yeah, they ended up doing some things that were not consistent with what they had been doing, and the house of cards collapsed. Um, and it wasn't a house of cards, but you know, the foundation got eroded and it, and it came down. They are now in the process of reinventing themselves again, and they're doing so quite well. They're, they're, this speaks to resiliency. It speaks to a consciousness of abundance in the sense that there are resources to start over with. And that developing that capacity to continuously start over, even in the face of what may seem to be catastrophic decline, yeah, a marriage dissolves, a partnership goes on the rocks. How do you start over? COVID hits. And a job loss. A job loss. Yeah. A job because change. Can't go into the office. Oh, I have to trust myself. I mean, and it, it, fundamentally for me, it comes back down to this question of leadership. Yeah, who's in charge? Well, my, my soul is in charge and I am a vehicle. What does it want to have expressed? Yeah. And then I become the vehicle for that expression, the manifestation of what my, my imagining can tell me is possible. Mm. And, and one of the things about that bucket list that I was referencing a little bit ago, the key on that for me is what do I, you know, where does desire come in? Because I can, you know, I, I can have a list of all kinds of stuff in there, but some of them are going to go, whoa, it's going to, you know, they, there's a siren call to them. <laughs> and all of a sudden I now desire this. Yeah, desire not from an avarice perspective, but this would be really cool. And this is where the for the sake of what starts to come into play. That desire is the catalyst. And then I start looking for how do I make it happen? It's linked me to another question of these, these words of meaning. And I love your various articulations and descriptions of thought, concepts, and words. And you talk about desire and a linked word in terms of motivation. And you're somebody who's described as, you know, one of the world's greatest motivators. And of course, we have intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. What you're talking about in desire is this internal motivation. Um, and we can inspire that through what we go and discover, what we go and try to actually awaken desire. Because desire, in my, my view, is something that, you know, is a fickle piece that needs inspiration, needs ambition, needs imagination. And when it hooks, it starts that chemical reaction and it starts that piece um, to then build part of our motivation. But I, I'm, I'm interested in terms of, for us, we measure something called motivation style yeah. in the character. And we talk about this in a spectrum of playing not to lose, you know, this playing to protect, playing to defend. Uh, so what I've got, I need to look after it and I'm motivated. So if I go through change, I go through adaption, that's my motivation, security and protection. Or on the other side, play to win by a burning ambition, not a burning platform. And so for us, it isn't about uh, competency or it isn't, am I motivated by mastery or money or connection or relationship or fame? It's what's the style of motivation that will trigger change in you, in you as a character? What's your experience of motivation, motivation styles and desire? I'm just fascinated of, of your thoughts. Yeah, I, again, I, I love your questions, Ross. I mean, these are really thought provoking. Um, <clears throat> two types of motivation. One is extrinsic and one is intrinsic. Um, in most management systems, extrinsic motivators are used a lot. You know, mm -hmm. we got reward systems out there. I mean, you know, as a matter of fact, even our salaries and, and uh, remuneration structures typically are extrinsic motivators. You know, we're going to go to work, get paid, and that's the motivation. None of that speaks to my dream. None of that speaks to who I am. None of that really speaks to what's important to me and what I value at my core. And the idea of desire, it's, it's um, what, yeah, if, if I've got a, a flax seed as an example, what does it wanna become? Well, it wants to become a grain of flax. I need to, I need to find soil to plant that in. And then I need to nurture that soil. 
and I need to make sure it's got the nutrients that the flax needs in order to actually begin to sprout. I don't have any control over when it sprouts. I mean, that's kind of, but I do have control over planning it and taking care of it and nurturing it and attending to it. And that's where internal motivation comes into play. It's what this, this kernel of desire, what wants to live, what wants to be expressed. And for me, and I played a lot with this question, for the sake of what? People set goals all the time. And usually when I start asking the question for the sake of what, Oftentimes people go, well, because my boss wants me to, or because it's the right thing to do, or because society says that this is the way to see and demonstrate I'm successful. You know, it's just kind of fill in the blanks. If asking the question for the sake of what begins to get answered from the perspective of, because that's who I am. Mm. That's where I want to start nurturing. That's what I want to start yeah, walking. What you want at. to unlock. That's what and I it- want to how it might that... need the uh, the five whys. Yeah, know, it does. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, of those things. Um, there's, of course, a bright side and a dark side to many things. Mm-hmm. Desire can have a bright side. It can motivate and it can serve. And desire can have a shadow side and a dark side mm-hmm. and be the self-justification to bad habits, to bad behaviors. And to me, this links to mindset and abundance and scarcity. And, and very quickly, the um, story Dan told me and a lot of his impact, he's had a lot of impact on me, was talking about envy and jealousy and about two farmers. You know, one farmer, next door neighbor gets a cow. And uh, the farmer looks and goes, wow, I like that cow. Do I desire that cow? Am I jealous? Am I envious? And he talks about the difference between my neighbor has a cow, there's enough cows, therefore I would like a cow, I'll have a cow. So it's a positive motivator to, I may be, you know, I'm not sure which way round of the jealousy or envy of it is, but I would then get one. The dark side of that would be, he has a cow, I don't have one. I don't want him to have one. I want him to lose his cow. So in terms of our desire and we live in this society of, you know, team complexity, different members, different from, you know, stake, uh, stakeholders to, you know, this expanded view of what that is from a shareholder to a stakeholder. What's this view of where desire, how can we navigate potentially seeing away from the dark sides of it and the adaption might be, Ah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to follow the herd. I want to stay true to what I am and my true self. Just speak a little bit about that because my mind is spinning uh, about uh, desire and motivation. Uh, a good friend of mine, a fellow by the name of Joe Dispenza, uh, has got a, a, a book out. Uh, he's got a number of books out. But one of the things that he says a lot, and I've you know, actually worked with him around this you know, concept, is you, begin to th- you need to begin to think greater than your mind thinking greater than your mind. Now he has a very specific way of articulating this in, in, in uh, or context in which he's articulating this. The mind isn't my brain. The mind is this holistic thing that I call my body. And it's made up of different varied parts. There's a neurochemical process that you know, begins to come into play here. And, and you'd mentioned you know, chemicals you know, at one point in time. I, I, how I describe something determines how I feel about it. How I feel about it generates my behavior. And we get into this loop, this repetitive loop. I think this way, I feel this way, I behave this way, I think this way, I feel this way. Now I start to feel this way, I start to think this way. And I feel, I think, I feel, I think I feel, I feel, I think, I think I feel. And all of a sudden, yeah, when I feel a certain way, there's chemicals that are released and I get addicted to certain mood states, envy. I get addicted to certain uh, behaviors because there's this endorphin rush or this dopamine uh, 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 release that occurs. I need to think greater than my mind is what Joe speaks about. And it has to do with uh, being able to step back, take a breath. And, And Viktor Frankl talks about between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space, I choose. And in that choosing is freedom. Yeah. So, this is where awareness becomes very, very important. I notice I'm triggered. 
I notice that this habituated response, this habituated feeling is kicked in. I pause. Just take a breath. Slowing down to speed up. Slowing down. Yeah. And then I make a choice. It may be the same choice I would have made, but it could be a different choice. And it'll be an uncomfortable choice because it's not habituated. And because it's not habituated, I'm going to have to practice it if I want a different outcome. So, I mean, that's one way that that begins to come into play. And this is why, you know, for the sake of what am I wanting to do this or have this? Yeah, well, because he's got it and I don't. Well, okay, that's, you know, ask that question. You look happy, I don't feel happy, whatever these things are. Exactly. It it links as we, we wrap up back to some of the context of the world that we're living in of societal shift and change, you know, from big movements like Black Lives Matter and racial inequalities, economic inequalities, access to the vaccine inequalities, you know, all of these things that are thinking, you know, stimulates behavior, mind, I'm thinking this way, I behave this way, or I behave this way, therefore I think this way, is a lot of our biases. And it comes back to this unlearning and this breakthroughs that are needed that I'm going to pause. I'm going to reassess. I'm going to give my permission to myself to make a new choice, not at the judgment of the choice I made yesterday. And to accept that is freeing. And that state of being at peace with myself, um, because the choices I made, I made consciously. I might make them different tomorrow. Therefore, it's not regret of yesterday. It's informed, deliberate new choices for right now. And I think that's a eternal pursuit for me, for sure, you know, is to, to take, to reflect, to listen and to consider. And we need space for those things when we are in this rock and roll. We, you know, when we first uh, connected for this call today, how was your weekend? Well, I didn't do much. And that was quite nice. You know, a little bit about around the house, around the garden and this balance between the rock and the roll of our roller coaster lives oh, is that we yeah. need rejuvenation in order to phoenix and spawn uh, for tomorrow and it's this this balance in this cyclical cycle of our nature uh, i love that you talk a lot about nature of those things i'd like to finish off with a you know you mentioned your bucket list whether mm-hmm. there's anything on that bucket list that you would like to share um with me as a dream you have, as a desire you have, an experience that you're looking for, maybe it's something for the first time uh, that you would like to like to do and just share that with us as part of your own journey and your adaption. One that is at the top, you know, has actually migrated to the top of my list. I want to do a zero G flight. Ah. <laughs> and it's about the experience. I want to... Yeah. I mean, I, I, I scuba dive. I've experienced weightlessness you know, in the ocean and um, in water. But there's something about, and I've always, you know, I've been in just fascinated with space. I mean, just the exploration, the discovery yeah. that, yeah, moving into that unknown. So a, a zero G is an approximation of, you know, of that for me. Uh, so are so, you connected to Peter? Peter, do you I know this? Yeah, yeah. Because he yeah. has obviously zero G. He took Stephen Hawkins up. Yeah. And uh, so... That you can definitely make happen. Yeah. Oh, there's no question about it. And that, that will be happening within the next, uh, you know, as soon as we can start getting out of our houses and stuff. Yeah, that's one thing that's coming up. Fantastic. Uh, yep. Yeah. An- another one has to do with, and, and this is you know, kind of on the professional side. Um, yeah. And my, you know, where I'm at in my life right now, you know, everything I do is about impact. I mean, that's really kind of where I'm organizing this book over my shoulder. For those of you that have got a video feed here is compassionate capitalism, a journey to the soul of business. Um, part of my bucket list is, is, is uh, putting in you know, Steve Jobs words here, putting a dent in the universe around what it means to be a capitalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I yeah, to my dying breath, I want to be doing things that are fostering compassion in the workplace in all of its varied forms. Um, I have no idea how to go about doing that with the greatest impact. I just fumbled my way forward. 
but it's invigorating for me. And it's, I mean, it's, it, as a bucket list area, it's something I'm already engaged in, but I'm looking for ways to really expand, expand. the footprint on that and expand how I go about doing that. And I'm having fun discovering because I'm, 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 I'm doing stuff right now. And COVID has been really uh, uh, a blessing in that regard. And I don't mean that facetiously, but it's, it's allowed me to pause and explore different ways of-, of uh, How to manifest that. Yeah, different ways of doing, as well as different ways of being, uh, which has been very interesting. Uh, it's kind of like, I kind of like who I'm finding out here. I love that. And the, this, uh, you know, shift and these careful, I, I encourage people to perhaps listen back to this episode, because there's so many gems, Blaine, that you've shared that will change people's thinking it will change their lives and unlock them to be a version of themselves that will bring a smile and this mm. uh phrase at the end where you were talking about the expansion of something often i hear people talking about the pursuit i want to pursue this i want to go for this that assumes you have none of it today right expansion you have something and you <clears throat> want to in you know grow it you want to grow your impact you, you know these things, the language and stories we tell ourselves matter. And so choose that carefully of the narration of the storyline you tell yourself, because that informs our neural net and our mindset and our vision of what's possible. I want to thank you from the deep part of my heart and soul of the time that we spent. And uh, I look forward to helping you co-elevate on your impact and expanding your impact as well. I'd love to do that with you, Blaine. So thank wow. you very much. It's been really great. My absolute pleasure. And, and the feeling is reciprocated. I, I love the, the whole idea of adaptability because it is ecumenical to change, obviously, but generative change. And that's, that's what I wanna see happening. So however I can support, I'm in. I'm absolutely in. Thanks, Blaine. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead? Has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalized report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65 for a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI, transforming the way people, teams and organisations navigate change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast directory and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.